welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Philippians today, the last chapter of the book of Philippians, which according to my Bible is chapter 4. Reminded as we sing so many great songs this morning, choir did an outstanding job, orchestra was on target, everybody's batting a thousand. See if we can keep the streak alive. A lot of times we sing songs, and I hope we slow down in church sometimes to think about the words we're singing. And we really mean, not questioning that you mean it, that I mean it, but words have meaning, songs have meanings. Do we really mean, do we really want to be salt and light everywhere we go? We really worship Him. Sing hallelujah to him. Praise him. He's worthy of it. I have to give a disclaimer to this sermon. I say this often. Not that I don't always mean it. But today is a message that your pastor has already responded to. I mean that seriously. Not saying that to make you feel good or bad or Whatever you feel right now, that was not my purpose. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul has written this letter. We know it in the theological world as the prison epistle. Paul is in prison, not for committing a crime like many of, none of you have ever done and been in prison, not for murder, not for robbery but for preaching boldly the truth of the gospel. He is wrongly imprisoned for serving Jesus. And he says, at some point, I've learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. This is not the first time Paul's been in prison. There's an old song that says Paul and Silas were in jail in the middle of the night. Not much reason to be happy. Some of y'all are wanting to sing right now. But they sang with all their might. Then the earth began to quake. Y'all know the rest. And the bars began to shake. And the jailer and his household, praise the Lord. Y'all know that song? Am I that old? (laughs) They're singing songs of worship, they're praying, no doubt reading scripture while they're in prison. And now he's writing this book, this letter, in prison to Christians, encouraging them, as verse one says, to stand firm in the faith. Now I want you to think about this and process the context that a man's in prison for doing the will of God And he's encouraging those who aren't in prison, which is us today, although there's probably some kids today that think they were drugged to prison. I know those days. You'll get right with God one day. And um, some adults, but we'll leave that there. She made me. But he's encouraging us to stand strong in the faith. The reality is, God knows, Paul knows, that we're going we're gonna to face difficult times in this life. If you haven't yet, you are sleeping or they're on their way. Christians do go through difficulties in life. We do have trials. We do have stress. We do have anguish. And Paul writes this letter in this last chapter, and he provides some help for Christians. The disclaimer is twofold. I've been preached to and had to respond. 
seriously. The other disclaimer is the Word of God makes it clear that we will struggle and that we will have times that calls us to, in our flesh, worry, be anxious, have anxiety. I've said enough, so let's read these two verses together. Would you stand as we honor God's word? If you're new here in the new year, you're at a church that believes this is the perfect word of God. It's complete, and it's inspired by God. We don't make any apologies for preaching it, for believing it, or for living it. I'm just going to read verses 6 and 7. Paul says, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Would you pray? Father, thank you again for your word. We do believe it's absolute truth. It's good for doctrine, for teaching us, for instructing us, for correcting us, for reproving us, and leading us to all righteousness. I pray today, like many times before, that someone who hears this message will be helped Certainly not by me, but by you, by your word, by the Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I had trouble coming up with a title, but I landed on the remedy for worry. If you're in a better mood... I have an alternate title, Don't Worry, Be Prayerful. Doesn't have quite the same ring as Don't Worry, Be Happy, but now you'll be singing that the rest of the service in your mind. And yes, I know I just knocked that off for the 36th time. One day we'll learn. Paul encourages us to stand firm in verse 1. As a pastor, I want to encourage you to stand firm. As fellow believers, we ought to encourage each other to stand firm, stand strong in the faith. Many of you, many of us have been through times in our life where we were challenged to stand strong. You will, I will, we will all face more difficult times if the Lord tarries where we are encouraged or challenged to stand strong. It will happen. It is happening, and it will happen. Yeah, that might sound like bad news, and it might sound like something you've heard before, but I won't sleep uneasy knowing that I didn't say from the Word of God to the church of God, be ready, difficult times are coming. I don't mean sickness diagnosis. I mean spiritual difficulties are coming to this country. Christians are going to be challenged more than ever before as we approach the day of the Lord. Paul knew that. Most of us know that. I'm preaching that. Stand firm. Last week I started, well, I preached the message that encouraged us to invest in three things in the new year. And the first was prayer. I'm going to be honest with you, I am, I even shared this last week, I'm convicted in my own personal life many times about my prayer life. I'm convicted as the pastor of this church that we may not be a church of prayer the way we're supposed to be or expected to be by God. When Jesus entered into the temple on Palm Sunday and he walked in 
and they were, they basically had the web road flea market going on and he got righteously ticked off and started flipping over tables. He said, my house, and he quoted scripture and he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. Now I'm not that guy that says we shouldn't sell CDs in the church. Well, we probably shouldn't line them up on the altar. Okay, but that's a different story. But what we should take from that is Jesus expects his house to be a house of prayer. And I'm convicted as your pastor that we, maybe I haven't led you. Not that it's my job to make you pray. It's not my job to help you pray. But it is my job to preach the word of God that teaches us that we should be men and women of prayer. And it's not a local problem. It's a national problem. It's an American problem. And I hate to say it this way, but you know it's true. Whether you want to amen it or not, it's up to you. But part of the reason we don't pray in church in America is because we aren't suffering like many churches around the world. Now, if we thought we could be shut down next week because of government or because of another religion or another religious government, one of two things would happen. Please don't get mad. Some of you just fold up your arms and say, I ain't going, I'm done. Some people already did it all over the country. But the other option would be, we're gonna pray about this thing and we're not gonna pray about whether we should show up or not. We're gonna pray about when we show up, what we're gonna do and how we're gonna handle it. And we're gonna pray for boldness. We're gonna pray for courage. We're gonna pray for wisdom. We're gonna pray that our guns actually fire when we pull the trigger and all that kind of stuff. I asked you last week to invest in prayer. And I know right now, today, I'm gonna preach on prayer. And I may preach next week and the next week and the next week on prayer. And if you don't get anything out of it, I'm sorry, but I think I will. And my prayer is that our church will. And I don't know how to say this in any eloquent, scholastic, theological way. But we as a church and we as individuals have to learn to be men and women of prayer even when we don't feel like we have to pray. Now you understand what I mean by that. I hope you do. We need to pray every day, every hour. Be instant in season, out of season, not just in preaching, but in prayer. Pray without ceasing, Paul says. And if you're looking for things to pray about, call a friend and get together and say, hey, help me out with some things we can pray about. But what I want to talk about today is found in this passage of Scripture. Specifically, a remedy for the problem of worry or anxiety. Now, you already know the remedy. If you've been paying attention, I've already given that away. But in case you haven't been paying attention, wait until I give you the answer. We've been told in Scripture to pray. We've been given examples of people who pray, the greatest of which is Jesus himself. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. I have, and I think about it often. If anybody would have had a reason not to have to pray, it would have been the Son of God, God himself in the flesh, Jesus. But yet, oftentimes, they couldn't find him because he was praying. You don't have to do a lot of theological delineation to figure out. If Jesus needed to pray, certainly I need to pray. One of the lessons in the Lord's Prayer or the disciples' prayer is, lead me not into temptation. Think about it. The devil came to Jesus, 
the sinless son of God, tempting him to sin. Certainly, if he thinks he can get Jesus to sin, he's gonna come to you and I and tempt us to sin. So at minimum, here's a good note, if you don't have anything to pray about, pray that you're led not into temptation. Pray that you are delivered from evil. Because we have an enemy who does want to defeat us, who does want to challenge us, and will challenge us often. Jesus prayed. He told his disciples to pray. Even in the last days, the disciples still hadn't figured this thing out. And when he told them to pray, they were sleeping. That ought to make you feel a little better than even a disciple. I'm going to cover a couple challenges that I think are challenges in our prayer life. One is, who am I to pray? I can't, I, I remember, I'm old enough to grow up old school. And I'm, please don't take anything I ever say critical. Please don't get mad at anything I say. That got me off the hook for the rest of my life, right, right there. <laughs> don't read into anything I say, please. And if you do and you're upset, buy me lunch, and we'll talk about it. I grew up old school. I grew up in the old school churches. And I remember, please, please, I know I feel this coming, please. Boy, if anybody can reach the throne room of God, this man can. That makes the rest of us feel like spiritual peons. Now, I know what's meant by that, I think. Well, I'm telling you, we, we need to pray, and I'm going to call on this guy to pray because I know he can reach the throne of God. I don't know if you've ever been in a church like that or church service, and I'm thinking, what's he know about me? How does he know I can't get there? Right? Y'all following with me? I know I can call out some names of some people that I think were spiritual giants, that I think prayed more than me, that probably got more done than me, and might have been more often closer to God than I am. Y'all know anybody like that? You ought to know a few people like that. You ought to respect a few people like that. You ought to follow a few people like that. You ought to read about people like that. You ought to be more like those people. Iron sharpens iron. But the reality is, I ought to be able to call on any believer in this room, and you, you can reach the throne of God because he told you as a believer, not because of who you are or what you've done, but because of what Jesus did on the cross, that you can come boldly before the throne room of God. So don't think you can't talk to God and accomplish things. There was a man named Elijah. Y'all know Elijah? Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain. And it didn't rain for three years and six months. And then he prayed again under God's leadership, and it rained. Now, I don't know if you've ever done that. And you're probably thinking, I can't do that. But don't think that. Oh, here comes a little, where's he going with this? No, James tells us that Elijah was a man of like passions like you and I. He was a man just like you and just like me. But yet he called upon God for it not to rain, and it didn't rain on the span of three years and six months. And then he prayed again, it rained, it rained. So I, I'm, not, I'm not powerful enough. I'm not spiritual enough. It's not about you. It's about the one living within you and what he has done for you that allows you and me to be able to call on the God of heaven, the creator and sustainer of the universe, and ask him. It wasn't Elijah that stopped the rain. It was God that stopped the rain through his prayer. So you've got to get this humanity, this uh, sinful, this demonic idea out of your mind that you're not good enough or spiritual enough to pray. The reality is we're not spiritual enough to do anything. But because we're a child of God, we have the gift, we have the privilege, we have the opportunity to call on him. And he said, come boldly. 
That's everybody in here that's a born-again Christian. He's taught us to pray. He's encouraged us to pray. Spurgeon said this, to pray is to enter the treasure house of God and to gather riches out of an inexhaustible storehouse. And I can't do this. Well, maybe I should enter into the treasure house of God. And I can gather some riches out of his inexhaustible storehouse. My Bible says he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything that we could ever ask or think. Anybody ever run into some situations that were exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything you could do or ask or think? We call on him. One of my heroes of the faith, mentors, I guess you could say, because I looked up to him and had the fortune and pleasure of meeting and knowing him was Jerry Falwell. And he said nothing, he said this all the time, nothing of any eternal significance happens apart from prayer. You can trace all through the history of Christianity and no great movement of God ever happened that didn't start with prayer. None. None. I'm going to be honest and transparent with you. I was texting Pastor Barry Murray yesterday and asked him a question. I said, well, I got something in mind, and, I, and I'm struggling with it. And, and I'm just going to give you a teaser and ask you to help pray about it. We've got to do something at this church to ignite a desire for us to corporately pray together. And the challenge is when I'm thinking it and when I'm praying about it, and I have, there's this vibe I get. I don't like vibes. Sometimes I don't know if it's my vibe or his vibe or the devil's vibe or just the vibe. I don't know if vibe's in the the Bible anywhere. But the vibe I get is that ain't going to work. People won't like it. People won't show up. And then I think it's the devil telling me. Then I start fussing with the devil. I don't care what you think. We'll do it anyway. Then I wonder if it was God. Well, I didn't mean that. I thought I was talking to the devil. (laughs) Then I wonder if it's me. And I do talk to myself. And I do answer. Just not out loud. Don't do it out loud. So I've got some thoughts. I've got some dreams. I've got some visions. I've got some plans. But I want to know that God wants us to do it. And I want to know that there's some Christians that want to do it. But it's, it's just not fancy. It's not popular. And I'm struggling with it. I help coach basketball. My son will tell you this. One of the worst things you could do is shoot a layup and not use the backboard. You know why they call them layups? Because they're layups. They're easy. You do something difficult in life, you say, that's a layup. I Means you shouldn't miss them. It's a layup. But it's not fancy. It's not sexy to use the backboard. And I'll tell them, it might not be sexy, but it counts for two. If you go in there and you miss the backboard and you show up a throw up a two-foot air ball for a layup, everybody out there is going to laugh at you. So use the backboard. Score two points. What's that have to do with anything? I don't know. (laughs) Maybe having a service, a special time, where we ask the church of God to show up at the house of God and pray to God, it might not be flashy, but that might be the problem in the American church today. I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm going I'm to speak for every pastor that's got a brain. And there's some that don't, I know. They want their church filled every Sunday. Maybe it's for the wrong reasons, but I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and give me the, I want it for the right reasons. I want this place filled, not because I get a bonus at the end of the week. 
because I don't. I want it filled so that everybody in here hears a clear presentation of the word of God in the gospel. And the reality is there's enough lost people and there's a whole lot of professing saved people that could fill every church in Kannapolis. So it's not like the people aren't there. They're everywhere. And the challenge is to call for a prayer service, you might have 15 show up. And then you wonder, is it even worth turning the lights on for? You follow, you see my challenge? Pray about it. Ask yourself during the next two hours of this sermon, am I a man, am I a woman who really is a believer who is praying the way I ought to pray? Now all that's, none of that's in my notes, so here we go. We'll see what happens. Paul says there's a reason to pray. And that reason is the answer, the remedy, the antidote for worry, for anxiety. And I know you're thinking, because I read minds on the side, church people don't have anxiety. If you thought that, delete it. I don't know any Christians that worry. Well, then you don't know anybody. When you're so spiritual, you say, well, I don't worry about a thing. Well, good for you. We ought to stand up right now and all applaud for you because you've, you've made it. You've attained. You're that. You're, and you're just about to get carried off in a chariot of fire, <laughs> if that's you. Well, Bill was here, and he was not. There we go. I got it. Only the theologians get that. The reality is Jesus knew that we would worry. Paul knew that we would worry. Jesus said, take no thought for tomorrow, what you shall eat, what you shall drink. You know what that means? Don't worry about that. I got that. That is the, the pretext to the text that everybody knows, which is Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That is the text that we know, but the text before that is, hey, don't worry about the things you need. Y'all hear me? Don't worry about the things you need, your food, your clothing, your shelter, because your Father in heaven, who takes care of the birds, who takes care of the flowers of the field, he knows your need, and he will meet them, listen, if you seek him first in all you do. We love that passage of scripture. Get it right though. But understand at the beginning, Jesus told his disciples, don't worry about those things. Why? Because he knew they would worry. Paul here in Philippians 4, King James uses a word that I want you to make sure you understand. He says, be careful for nothing. Now let me clarify. There are some things in life you need to be careful of. The word here, careful, most translations will say anxiety or worry. The Greek word actually careful is an interesting word and you have to see this to understand the, the ramifications for worry. The Greek word careful there means to pull apart. That's what worry will do to you. That's what anxiety will do to you and me. It will pull you apart. You will not be, I'm gonna give, give away the word, at peace. You will not be whole. You will be torn. You will be pulled. You will be miserable. And it got quiet. Why? Because the preacher's already been preached to and had to respond. And now it's our turn. The reality is, anxiety is the number one mental health issue in America today. More prescribed for anxiety than any other mental health. And it's not exclusive to the lost people. In this passage of scripture, we're given the exhortation to pray. Oh my goodness, this is part two. Listen to what he says in verse six. Yes, he's really just starting. 
Be careful for nothing but in everything prayer and supplication. Listen to that. Believers are to worry about nothing. Paul is making a play on the two words here. Nothing and everything. Don't worry about anything. Do not worry. Now, if I say nothing, that'll be a double negative, so I'm not going to do that. There is nothing that a believer should be worried about. Now, you're looking at me already like I anticipated this would happen. I didn't say it. God said it. Believer, don't worry about anything. Worry about nothing, but pray about everything. Worry is to afflict with mental distress or agitation. Anxiety is a state of being uneasy or nervous. That pulling apart is the state of which we, we don't want to be in that state. God doesn't want you to be in that state. But he knows there is a propensity for us to be in that state. That's why he said, don't worry about this. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about shelter. Don't worry about clothes. Don't worry about that. I will take care of you. But he knew we would worry. Paul says, don't worry about anything. Why? Because he knew we would worry. It is a natural instinct to worry. Now, I know some of you are already trying to figure this out, so I came prepared. Because there's people who say, I don't worry. I don't worry. I just, I'm just um, concerned. <laughs> and, and that's good if you've got it really figured out. Because we should be concerned about some things. But that word is not worry. Concerned and worry are not synonyms. I don't care if Miriam tells you that or not. We should be concerned about it. I should be concerned about my children enough to do something for them. I should be concerned about my light staying on so I work and pay the bill. Right? You, you make preparation. I should be concerned about the welfare of my country so I should be knowledgeable and I should be involved. And you should too. What's the difference in fear and worry? I, I found this and I love it. Um, there's a difference in fear. Fear is natural. And there are some things we should be fearful of, like snakes. You should be. And there's nothing that ticks me off more than somebody saying, oh, I'll just pick up that black snake and throw him out in the yard. I'm like, well, good for you. I'm shooting him. <laughs> if everybody in here could have seen me with a shovel about six months ago and a black snake about that long, y'all would think I was the biggest wuss in town. <laughs> I know y'all think I'm a manly, burly, monster, Sasquatch man now, but I was, my goodness, it was, I, I laughed at myself when it was over. Fear is getting on an elevator that says 2,500 pound weight capacity. And there's 10 guys already on there that look like they're pushing 250. <laughs> that is fear that is normal. I probably shouldn't step on there. Right? That's natural. That's normal. That's okay. But worry is getting on an elevator by yourself or with another 110 pound person and worried that this thing's gonna break down even though Sherry Berry said it was all right. <laughs> I know it's a new person now. That's worry, that's anxiety, and people have it. The statistics are crazy in America. Now, don't get me wrong, and if you don't hear anything else, don't come back and blast me. Mental illness is a problem in America. And if you've been prescribed a, a, a prescription for mental illness, I am not telling you to not take it. I'm not telling you to throw it in the trash and by faith believe that you're going to be all right. I'm being serious. Don't you go out of here and say, you know, he's turned into faith healer and grabbed some rags and oil and touched this and you won't need. I ain't said nothing like that and I'm not saying that. It's an issue. Now, I will tell you as a pastor, and as a believer in the word of God, I think 
there's some Christians. We've gotten ourselves in a fix where we have needed medication because we had a spiritual issue that couldn't have been solved through prayer and supplication. Did everybody hear that clearly? I didn't say everybody on anxiety medication is not spiritual. I did not say that. Don't you go lying on me. I didn't say that. In 2022, one out of 10 prescriptions filled for, de were for depression or anxiety in America. The numbers is crazy. For from 2020 to 2021, prescriptions for anxiety increased 34% during COVID. Yeah, it's a problem in America. It's a problem in the church that we're worried about things that we shouldn't worry about. One of my favorite preachers, Adrian Rogers, said, worry doesn't take the sorrow out of tomorrow. It takes the strength out of today. It's just pulling tomorrow's clouds over today's sunshine. Oh, that's good. That ought to be in Proverbs. You know anybody like that? Don't point to them. I, my grandfather loved me more than anything on this planet, and I loved him. But he was, if you looked up worry wart in the dictionary, Tilbrook's picture was right there. <laughs> he worried, like, I ain't got nothing to do today. I'm going to worry. I remember vividly my grandfather coming home from the DMV. By the way, if you go in there, it's all right to worry. It's, it's all right. It, it, this timeout. Has anybody, I mean, seriously, I'm going to take a poll. Has anybody been to the DMV in the last year? Like, in person. Like, a couple people. Good for you. you and you lived, and you're still a Christian. And You go to the DMV. There, it's like you enter a third world country. It is the most odd feeling that I've had in my life, I think. It's so weird. And it's packed full of people, and everybody's just sitting there. They got two waiting rooms now. It's It's nuts. And you hear the people back there screaming at people. I went and I heard them screaming at a guy that had just taken his driver's test. This is not lying. I heard the guy, like a drill sergeant, screaming at the guy. I guess he was trying to talk him into giving him his license. He's like, you almost ran over me. He literally said that out loud. And the room full of people are just sitting here like, <laughs> like we don't speak the language. And I'm the only one. I was like, is anybody hearing this guy about to get shot? And nobody's responding. So you can worry if you go there. Hmm. He would come home from the DMV after taking his driver's test. And I'm not lying. If my aunt was here, she could confirm. My cousin could confirm. And he would come home and stress for the next several hours about six years later when he's got to take it again. <laughs> I'm not lying. I'm not lying. That's six years from now. You stress, if you're gonna stress, stress like six days before six years from now. I flew for the first time in my life. In high school, we went to Washington. We flew. It's a 45 minute flight from Charlotte. To, you go up and come down, and you're in Washington. This is the truth. My grandfather stood in the backyard of his house and watched planes. <laughs> this is true. Now you're thinking, how sweet. He was worried about you. He couldn't do a thing in the world <laughs> except pray. But he worried about it. And he probably got three new ulcers that week and drank a few more pints of whatever he used to drink to, for his stomach. Believers are to worry about nothing, but believers are to pray about everything. That's what he says. But in everything, give prayer by prayer and supplication. The reality is we don't have to worry about anything because we can pray about everything. Some of you may know the name G. Campbell Morgan. Old, old, a lot of information out there. Preacher, evangelist. He says in one of his books that a lady walked up to him. He was preaching. He was an evangelist. He preached at a church and a lady walked up to him and said, uh, Dr. Morgan, should we pray about the little things? Does God, you've asked this question before. 
Does God want us to, is he, does he want us to pray about the little things? And in his wisdom, G. Campbell Morgan looked at her and said, ma'am, are there any big things to God? And do we not do that? God's not concerned about these little things. God's not, he, no, he's concerned about it all because all things are little things to God if he is who the word of God says he is. So we pray about everything, everything. You can pray about everything. Pray about anything. In this passage of scripture, there's really three words for prayer. Prayer, supplication, and request. And these are really important words because it speaks to our prayer life. It speaks to, in the, in the word prayer, it's a general attitude of worship. When he talks about supplication, it's, it's, um, it's the word there for like a petition. It's a need. It's a specific need. Like if, if people sign a petition to get rid of David Tepper, as the, right, there, there's a need. We need him out of here. And we give petitions, supplications to God. God, this is a need. He wants to know our needs. Is he God? Yeah. Doesn't he know our needs? Yeah. But he wants us to know our needs. That's a question that we all have. I wanted to address that. Why do we pray to God when he already knows? Now, I, I came up with a nice little quote. It's in my notes somewhere. I might mess it up. We may not know. I, I bought this a long, long time ago. I'm not saying I've perfected it, but I owned this statement a long, long time ago. I may not know, you may not know, we may not know the sovereign intricacies of prayer and how it works, but we have been told, we have been instructed to pray. And I don't know, I hope that helps you because it helped me a long time ago. I can spend my time trying to figure out how prayer works and ask myself the questions. Why should I pray? God, God, why do I pray if you already know what I need? You see how I just did that and I just prayed because I was talking to God? By the way, I think he likes that sometimes. I think he likes when we ask him questions about things we don't understand because that's us talking to him praying to him. But what I do know is that I don't know how it all works. But I do know that he told me to pray. He did tell the disciples to pray. And he himself did pray. So I better be praying. Don't let the theology and the lack of understanding keep you from praying. Call on him. Pray without ceasing. The question often comes up, doesn't God have a lot more to do than deal with me? God's got a lot going on. I, I, you may think that's silly, but there are people who are born again who they will keep themselves from a lifestyle of prayer because for some reason they think God's too busy. I read a story about a, um, and I, I was, I, I love this story because it was about the Panama Canal and I've been to the Panama Canal several times and it's one of the wonders of the world. It's a crazy fun thing to go see. And um, during the Panama Canal building, hundreds if not thousands of people died from malaria. And um, matter of fact, if you go to Panama, you'll see graveyards. There's a French graveyard close to where we stay that's, I mean, it's hundreds who were buried there because they were, they were French. They weren't very smart, and they died. No, they died from malaria. That's not funny. And, um, but a lot of people died. And so when uh, people were working, a lot of times the higher-ups, they would bring the families in to see them, but they couldn't go to the canal because of the fear of malaria, so they would send them out on houseboats. They would put them on houseboats away from the canal and bring people out. And so one of the lead engineers... It, it's a mammoth undertaking. And what's crazy is they just built this. Some of you are facts. I see you're, you're excited about this. So North Carolina State, David Boger, and some of those people uh, got together and they made new locks um, on the other side that are 21st century. 
But what's cool is the old 100-year locks still work just like they did 100 years ago, and it's fascinating. But it was difficult in the beginning, and they were bringing in these engineers uh, to work on it. And there was a lead engineer in the middle of this time to where they were struggling with getting it to work. They brought his family in for a visitation. They're out on the houseboat. They would ride him out on the boat to visit the family. The point is, this lead engineer's got a lot going on. He's helping build the Panama Canal. They're struggling with getting it done. He goes out and uh, he goes to see his wife and son. And he's got these elaborate plans out, looking over it at his desk, trying to figure out, you know, what are we doing? What are we doing wrong? How do we fix this? And the little son's playing around on the floor with a toy and uh, a wheel falls off his toy and the, the son's, ah, like sons do when their wheel falls off their toy. And um, he looks at his dad, he's like, nah, crying, whatever. And dad's like, what's wrong? And the dad picks him up and puts him on his lap. And so you can see this dad with his little son on his lap, these elaborate Panama Canal plans out. And he takes the toy, he takes the wheel, and he snaps it back on. Son's happy, puts him back down. God is not so busy that he won't take time to fix our problems to hear us, to respond to us. Chris Tomlin told us he's a good, good father. And if you don't know this, Psalm 139 is one of my favorite psalms, if not one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. And it speaks in the first few verses of God being the creator, the sustainer, sovereign, omnipresent, omnipotent, and all the omnis. And then it says... But how precious are your thoughts unto me, O Lord. If I should count them, they're more in number than the sand of the sea. It may be hard for us to fathom and understand, but Christian, you have a heavenly father who does have a lot on his plate. But the Bible says he thinks about you and me individually. He is a good father, and he wants to hear from his children. He expects to hear from his children, and only God knows how many times we haven't gotten what we needed, or we haven't gotten what we wanted to see, or we haven't experienced in a church what we want to experience because we didn't take time to call on him and give him our petitions, call on him, ask him, give our request to him. We have an exhortation to pray. Don't forget, don't lose part of verse 17 there. And everything give thanks. There's another sermon there, but I'll just say it this way. Oliver B. Green, who doesn't get a lot of credit because he's just from South Carolina, said, prayer should always be seasoned with thanksgiving. I thought about that. I thought, you know, how, how weird is it that you could be um, emotional, that you could be distressed, that you could be maybe at your wit's end. Maybe there's been a diagnosis. Maybe there's been catastrophic news. Maybe you've lost the closest person in your life to death. You name the situation. God wants us to call on him. God wants us to ask from him. But those prayers should be seasoned with thanksgiving. And I thought about what that might look like and how those thoughts seem to be opposed to one another. And it, it may happen that way. But I believe you could be in your darkest hour as a believer in conversation with God and still have thanksgiving and gratitude in your heart. I thought practically what that looked like. You're calling on God, and you're telling him your stresses, you're telling him your anxieties, you're telling him your fears, and uh, you're asking for his help. And in the middle of it, you realize you're talking to the God of heaven. And then that prayer becomes seasoned with, thank you, God, that I can talk to you. Thank you, God, that you loved me and that while I was still a sinner, 
You sent your son Jesus to die for me because you love me. And thank you, God, that one day when I was at an RA's meeting on a Wednesday night, acting like a crazy, foolish 10-year-old, your Holy Spirit convicted me. It called me out to salvation. And I was born again. And thank you, God, that you love me enough to you sent your comforter, your Holy Spirit, to comfort me. And before you know it, those prayers that you were praying in tears are now still maybe with tears, but being prayed with a heart of gratitude and a heart of thanksgiving. And then I don't know if you've ever done this before, but sometimes when you pray, you just start thanking God for what you have and your family and your wife and your perfect kids and your job and your friends and your health and for taking care of your necessities. And then about five minutes in, oh, prayed for five whole minutes, then you forgot nearly what you were so worried about in the first place. And the reality is, there is an effect to prayer. There's a cause and there's an effect. And I've got another 30 minutes here, but I'm gonna end it and make everybody's new year happy. I want you to read verse 6 and 7 with me together. Not out loud. I don't want to hear you. Be careful for nothing. Don't worry about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Verse 7. And. I think that's a conjunction. It's something following verse 6. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You see the contrast? Verse 6 begins with worry and anxiety. Verse 7 ends with peace. What caused the change? Prayer. Prayer. I started anxious. I started worried. I was being pulled apart. Are you there? Have you been there? You're going to be there. The remedy is to call on him. Call on him in prayer. Pour out your heart to him. Tell him your needs. Tell him your desires. Tell him the things you can't tell anybody else. And that worry, that, I've got to see the picture, that pulling apart ends with peace. And the word there is tranquility, wholeness. That's the answer. Now, I got to keep saying this. I got to say it a little bit more. I'm, I'm for biblical counseling. I'm for pastoral counseling. I'm for friends, sharing with other friends. But I'm going to tell you this. Maybe the biblical counselor won't tell you this. They should. And maybe the pastor won't tell you this, but he should. I can only give you human understanding. I can only give you human wisdom. I can only, he can only, she can only give you book education for your problems. I'm a pro-Christian counselor, pastor. But he says when we call on him, he will give us peace, that surpasses understanding. It's a peace, it's an answer that no man, woman, PhD can give you. And that's no, that's no shun, that's no downgrading to those people or to me. I, I am honored and flattered and humbled when someone calls and says, will you pray for me? I am, I am. And please continue to do that, and I will pray for you. I, I will not tell you I'm going to pray for you and not pray for you. I don't do that. I'm not one of those guys, I'll pray for you, brother. And I don't do that. I hate those people. I don't hate those people. I love those people, but they're wrong. I will pray for you if I say I'm going to pray for you. But I want you to know, member of this church, 
born-again Christian, you, if you're born again, you have the ability, you have the privilege to call on God yourself and receive peace from him that nobody else can give you. Nobody can even explain it. It's beyond our comprehension. There's a song that's my conclusion. You've probably sung it in this church. You've sung it in church before. The title is Wonderful Peace. You've heard the chorus. That'll ring the bell. Peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray, in fathomless billows of love. But Christian, I want you to hear these verses as my invitation. Far away in the depths of my spirit tonight rolls a melody sweeter than psalm. In celestial-like strains it unceasingly falls o'er my soul like an, like an infinite calm. Can you say that? You have access to that peace. Believer, that should be your testimony. That should be my testimony. What a treasure I have in this wonderful peace buried deep in the heart of my soul. Is that you? So secure that no power can mine it away while the years of eternity roll. It's interesting this song says tonight a couple times because nighttime seems to be when the anxiety and the worries happen most. I am resting tonight in this wonderful peace, resting sweetly in Jesus' control. For I'm kept from all danger by night and by day, and his glory is flooding my soul. Is that you? Believer, it should be you. It can be you. Church, I, I know you can't get my perspective, but when I look around this church, I see people who have human reasoning to be stressed or anxious. Just being raw and transparent. There are people who've been through situations that you would think that would cause anxiety. That would cause a lack of peace. But I'm telling you, I'm not smarter than God. He had this figured out a long time ago. And he knew that we would be worried. He knew that we would be susceptible to worry. He knew in our sinful nature we would have a propensity to worry. But he says, here's the fix. Pray. Call on me, and I'll provide you peace so that you can sing verses 1, 2, and 3 of this song. Here's the invitation to the lost person, verse 5. Ah, soul, are you here without comfort or rest? If you're lost, you've never been born again. You're here without comfort or rest. Marching down the rough pathway of time, here's the answer. Make Jesus your friend, ere the shadows grow dark. Oh, accept this sweet peace so sublime. Jesus said in John 14, peace I give to you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Do you have that peace? You can. Christian, call on him. You're struggling. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We don't say that lightly, understanding that we have at our access and disposable a peace that the world cannot explain, a peace that even our Christian brother or sister cannot understand, a peace that comes from you. And in this church today, I pray sincerely for men, women, teenagers who are born again, and they know it. God, I pray that they understand that worry and anxiety will happen, but there is an answer. And you want them to call on you so that you can provide that peace and finally I pray in this room 
maybe even watching, if there's a person who's never been born again, they've never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, God, not only do they not have peace, they don't even have access to peace. And maybe today would be the day that they see their need for salvation and they would call on you and be saved and know what it's like to have peace with God, peace of God in their heart today. Would you stand with me as we sing? Altars. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.